Welcome to Idiom America, a podcast that takes a look at those gems of language and goes from there. Uh, A couple of days ago, I was out digging a hole for my new trampoline. I wanted to bury it so that it would be flush with the ground. And I have been online stocking a mini excavator that I could rent to help dig the hole. Uh, Been doing that for a few weeks, but that morning I woke up with the bright idea that I should and could just dig the hole myself with the shovel. And I was about an hour in and uh, had cut the outer ring of sod when my elderly neighbor came over to check in. And uh, he asked me with a chuckle if I was having fun, enjoying myself, and I said that I was, but that at that moment I was I was full of vim and vigor. Um, but that if he asked me in a few hours, I'd probably be wishing I'd rented that mini excavator. Then I got to thinking about where that word vim came from. What did it mean, and why did I only ever hear it as part of the phrase vim and vigor? So I got curious and looked it up online and found it interesting to read what came up. And then I realized that I seemed to do this a lot. I'd use some idiomatic phrase, wonder where it came from and whether I'd used it correctly, and and then I'd look it up to see its provenance. And then the idea struck me that I'd enjoy a podcast that did this kind of thing, and so I thought I'd give it a shot myself. I've never done anything like it before, never really liked the sound of my own voice, but I do like words, and I thought this might be fun, so here it goes. And a big disclaimer up front, I'm not an etymologist, uh, not an expert of any kind, so don't expect anything along those lines. Anyway, back to Vim. Vim really only seems to exist with vigor, uh, kind of codependent coexistence. And why should we not be able to just use it as Vim? It's such a slim, trim word. When someone asks you how you're doing, oh, I'm full of Vim. Thanks for asking, Jim. It turns out apparently that the term Vim and vigor is something called a tautological plural noun, which is something you don't come across every day. And it's called that because the two words, when they're used together in the phrase, uh, they mean vitality, energy, robust health, but each word separately also means the same. Uh, Although the first word vim, I think, kind of shades the meaning a little bit more into something that connotes high energy, uh, great enthusiasm. Um, but because the word vigor also means uh, vitality, robust health, the words vim and vigor have the same meaning. Uh, so all, all three of them, separately, together, they all mean the same. And thus the term vim and vigor is a tautology, which, you know, as you know, is a phrase or a term that states the same idea twice uh, using different words. Um, and as kind of a tautological aside, uh, some other examples of this kind of tautological phrase include first and foremost, close proximity, necessary requirement, and everyone's favorite, it is what it is. Uh, and as another aside, this last one, it, it is what it is, it is a bit different, I think, because it's a deliberate uh, tautology. In other words, it's not just repeating itself for emphasis, it's trying to define itself through repetition. When someone says, it is what it is, they're usually trying to say that whatever it is can't be changed. Uh, In this vein would be something like the phrase, que sera, sera, you know, whatever will be, will be. Uh, But but where does vim come from? Uh, The word vim seems like it would be much older than it actually turns out to be. Seems like one of those sturdy ancient words, but 
the good folks at uh, the Oxford English Dictionary peg its origin to be 1843. And maybe it is older, but um, I, I would use Google's Ngram viewer to uh, check it out, and that Ngram tra tracks the usage of English words over time. And uh, on that, I, it appears early on in the 1800s, but on, only as a Greek or Latin uh, participle. And, and some etymologists believe that, that vim is indeed uh, derived from the Latin word vis, which means strength, energy, power. Uh, but that I, I also found uh, using that Google ngram uh, the, an 1843 usage, um, and, and the one I found comes from a book called "Getting Acquainted with the Medicines" by Henry Clay Lewis. And there, Vim is used in a colorful retelling uh, to the good Dr. Lewis of a bear fight by an Indian bear hunter by the name of Mikhuta. Uh, who the doctor describes as a whiskey-drinking, bare-fat-loving, fearless giant, who at times would give vent ideas that proved that beneath his rough exterior there ran a fiery current of high, enthusiastic ambition. Uh, you know, already sounds like a, a guy full of vim. Um, but I, I think it's worth excerpting the part where, where vim is used. And to set the stage for it, the bear fight at issue had commenced when Mikuta, uh, who it's worth pointing out at this point, uh, has one wooden leg, um, first shot at the bear only to see the ball strike him on the eyebrow and glance off, uh, just stunning the bear for a minute. And, and I'll let Mikuta, as allegedly told to Dr. Lewis, take it from here as the bear came at him and he tries to whack it with the stock of his gun. As he got in reach, I gave him a lick across the temples, breaking the stock in 50 pieces and knocking him senseless. I strove to follow up the lick when, Doc, I, I were fast. My timber toe had run into the ground, and I couldn't get out, though I jerked hard enough to almost bring my thigh out of joint. I stooped to unscrew the infernal thing when the bar come to and come at me again. Vim! I tucked him over the head and ka-chunk, he keeled over. Hell, but I cavorted and pitched. I were my worst enemy, waiting for me to give him a finisher, and I couldn't get at him. I'd commence unscrewing leg, here come bar, vim, ka-chunk, he'd fall out of reach, and Doc, I couldn't get to him. I kept working my body round so as to unscrew the leg and keep the bar off till I could accomplish it, when just as I tucked the... Anyway, I, I won't continue, but <laughs> you may be interested to know that uh, uh, he did get his leg unscrewed, and yes, he, he did get a good whack at the bear with it before his friends came to help, and they finished off the bear with a knife. But as far as Vim goes, a hand-to-hand -hand fight with a bear with a whack with an <laughs> unscrewed prosthetic leg seems like as good a place as any for a, for a word like Vim to arise. Uh, but going back to the dictionary, I took a look at Webster's Third New International Dictionary, and it points to the this Latin source as well as possible sources from a few other languages, uh, including Lithuanian for some reason, um, maybe just because it, of its close proximity uh, to the word Vilnius, a few words after capital. Who knows? But. That, Actually, the dictionary says it cites it for the word uh, viti, viti, uh, to pursue or hunt. Uh, Webster's also uses the word vim in the phrase, woke up full of vim and optimism. Uh, a Google search for that term, however, leads to only six results, all of which link to Russian English dictionaries, which perhaps says something about the circularity of dictionaries and definition, or perhaps nothing at all, I don't know, but I found it interesting.
Uh, I think it's rare to only find six results for, for anything these days. Um, the, but the Western dictionaries had some other interesting uses of the word vim, such as put some vim into it. And there were more Google results for this phrase, most of them from Hungarian dictionaries, but this phrase at least led to some organic uses of vim, most from around 1915, 1916, in the context of when a parson or a preacher really put the vim into their sermon or hymn singing. And besides the Latin theory for the source of vim, there's those that think that it just arose on its own as an onomatopoeic natural. That is, that it just sounds like a word that is what it is, like sizzle or roar or wham or whack or tatarat-tat, knock at the door. And as, as another aside, tatarat-tat is a word which happens to also have the distinction as the longest palindromic word in the English language. Uh, but I tend to favor this onomatopoeic interpretation. Uh, vim just sounds like a healthy word, an energetic one. Who wouldn't want to have some vim? At any rate, it's a handy, punchy word that I think should be unyoked from its vigor and allowed to go out there and compete on its own for usage among all the other hundreds of thousands of words out there. Good luck, Vim. Finally, uh, as for the trampoline, I did get the hole dug. Dug it by hand. Uh, biggest hole I've ever dug so far. Um, 60 cubic feet, maybe, of dirt and sod displaced. Uh, doesn't seem like that much when I put a number to it, but it was fun to see the different layers of soil and frustrating whenever the spade hit rock and gratifying in the end and and one thing was for sure it it sucked at my vim but my vim held out long in the tooth when i was talking to that same neighbor from the trampoline for the first time a few days before he used a couple idioms that made me smile and and they stuck with me uh, first he told me that he was getting long in the tooth and second he blamefully hinted that i was playing hooky from work that day. So I wanted to uh, take a look at both of those idioms. Uh, first, uh, long in the tooth. Uh, a quick inter internet definition of this phrase that pops up for me is rather old. It's a succinct definition, no doubt, but uh, not as succinct as just plain old. old. Uh, the rather adds a rather gentle touch to calling oneself old, I think. Uh, self-reflective way of saying, I know I'm old in terms of years, but age is relative, so I'm only rather old. And it also hints at the wisdom that comes with age, I think. But when I Google the phrase, uh, long in the tooth, to see its origin, I read about horses and receding gum lines and how as horses age, their gum lines recede and so their teeth appear longer. And so maybe it is a good phrase to use when you're meeting someone for the first time. A playful way to acknowledge that, hey, yeah, you're checking each other out like a potential buyer looking a horse in the mouth. The Google Ingram shows that the phrase has been around a good long time, but early on it seemed to be used literally more often than metaphorically, which makes sense, I suppose, as people probably spent a lot more time looking at the teeth of animals back then. Uh, but by 1877, at least, it was a mix of the literal and metaphorical, and a notes and queries piece from that time provides lots of... Uh, information and granular detail about horses' teeth, about their milk incisors and nippers and grinders and their lengths and extrusion dates, etc. But it also takes care to note that uh, there's the phrase long in the tooth and it says that this allusion to the teeth and to the teeth of horses and also of sheep is very common and getting very long in the tooth is a common expression for getting old. Uh, 
and looking at some of the other definitions of long in the tooth, uh, they're a little bit harsher than just rather old, and they define the phrase as meaning too old to do something. Uh, but I, I, I don't buy it, though, because teeth, they're almost always a positive, and the lack of them is almost always a negative. Uh, think of the vim that's connoted by the phrases like arm to the teeth, fight tooth and nail, or toothsome, uh, in comparison to the lack of vim that you get from words like toothless or, or lacking teeth. Uh, not to mention the stereotypical images of the elderly is all gums and dentures and, and no teeth, uh, certainly not long ones. Uh, at any rate, I think long the tooth as a phrase contrasts favorably with other idioms we have for, for old, such as the phrase over the hill, which to me suggests that things are all over. Gravity's turned now. It's just a matter of inevitably sliding toward death. Uh, interestingly, this, this phrase came about in the 1950s, and it stemmed from people picturing their life as a hill, where the peak represented the halfway point, and once they passed that, they were over the hill. And I can't help but think that maybe math class, uh, with you know, all the graphing and uh, charts and curves, uh, is to blame for that one. But receding gums, they aren't the only reason teeth get longer, at least for horses. Uh, the internet tells me that uh, horses' teeth, unlike humans, uh, grow continually, about an eighth an inch a year on average, but that's usually more than matched by, by the grinding down of those teeth. And I also found it interesting that there are three basic types of teeth in animals. There's the polyphyodonts, diphyodonts, and monophyodonts. And the poly's teeth, they're kind of like a conveyor belt. They just keep coming. And one set keeps pushing the old set up and out every six months or so. And these, they include almost all the non-mammal animals that have teeth, uh, as well as some of the mammal, mammals like uh, manatees, elephants, and kangaroos. And the diphyodonts, they cover most mammals, including us and horses. And, and obviously, uh, we have two sets, the baby or milk teeth and then the permanent adult set. And then there's the monos that have just the one set that keeps growing continuously throughout their lives. And they include rodents, dolphins, narwhals, and a few other animals. And I have two pet guinea pigs, uh, Beauty and Alice, and they're monophyodonts. And their teeth, they just keep growing and growing, so they keep chewing and chewing uh, on whatever they can to, to try to keep their teeth trimmed. And I, I wish I could teach them to, to chew their fingernails and toenails like uh, some anxious teenager, because uh, that's a task they don't do for themselves and that I never like doing for them. Um, they're weird, quirky little animals, and I love them, but I got to say, they're not the sharpest tools in the shed. So I can't help but think it might not hurt if they let their teeth grow long. See if they come into some kind of old age wisdom, or at least maybe look a little bit menacing to some potential predator instead of just cute and adorable. But I don't see them getting long in the tooth anytime soon. Plain Okie. Webster's Third New International Dictionary, which bills itself as the largest, most comprehensive American dictionary available in print, with 2,816 pages and 476,000 entries, with 3,000 illustrations and 140,000 etymologies, has no speculative etymological tidbits to offer about this common phrase, plain hokey, other than to define hokey thusly. Truant, used chiefly in the phrase, play hokey. <laughs> Thanks for going out on the wind there, Websters. Yeah, we, we knew that already. Uh, Plain hooky, it, it's a phrase that gets a fair bit of play, and it deserved a bit more analysis, in my opinion, especially when you see the lengthy entries Webster's devotes to some 
obscure archaic phrase, uh, but maybe plain hooky is too informal of a phrase for Webster's to investigate. Who knows? I gotta say though, the phrase plain hooky has been around for uh, more than 100 years, so it's not like it's some flash in the pan that's going away. Uh, speaking of which, I, I think it's fun to look back at the words of the year that dictionaries or lexicological societies have chosen from years past to see which ones have stuck around and which ones have fallen by the wayside. Some of them aptly provide a, a really nice snapshot of the whole year in a single word. So looking at those chosen by the uh, American Dialectic Society, uh, for example, we have for 2007, subprime. Uh, that kind of says it all. Uh, 2005, truthiness. Go <laughs> uh, there. Uh, 2009, tweet. Uh, 2011, occupy. 2012, hashtag, 2017, fake news, 2020, COVID. Uh, but then there are some missteps, uh, like 2003, metrosexual. I mean, you don't hear that one much anymore, do you? Uh, 2006, uh, Plutoed, which if you're like me and you didn't know, it apparently means demoted or devalued, as allegedly happened to the former planet Pluto. I mean, come on, is there anybody out there who still feels the sting of Pluto being demoted from planet status? And besides, is a reclassification to dwarf planet really a demotion? It's just a reclassification. Uh, anyway, there are also some there where I think the jury is still out, uh, such as 2019's, uh, my pronouns, as used in the context of introducing the correct third-person pronouns to refer to an individual. Uh, but, but, but back to plain hooky. Uh, luckily, the internet steps into the breach for Webster's here, and it provides some good etymological context. Uh, it, and it appears that the phrase plain hooky comes from 19th century New York City slang, and it's thought to have its roots in the Dutch word hookia, uh, or hide-and-seek. Um, game hide and seek. And that's interesting and makes sense to me. You know, you're hiding out from the teachers or truancy officers playing a game. Um, but why the Dutch origin is what I thought of. Did the Dutch have some kind of special tendency for truancy? Um, so following that lead, uh, so, uh, a theory that according to some, this could be part of a long running smear campaign by the English against the Dutch that dates back to the 17th century uh, when the English and the Dutch were duking it out for lordship of the world. Um, and, and this theory holds that the English, they, they would try to smear their competition by prefixing anything cowardly, fake, or uh, worthy of disdain with Dutch, which would lead to expressions like Dutch uncle, uh, Dutch courage, Dutch role, Dutch treat, Dutch wife, etc. And I, I won't go into the meaning of all these expressions, but I I think it's fair to say that they all have a slightly negative bit. I don't know. It's an interesting theory. I know there's always been some competition there between Holland and England. Uh, the Netherlands and the UK are widely considered the first two capitalist countries, after all. And, and Dutch New Amsterdam did become English New York. Uh, so maybe there's something to it. Uh, the first recorded use of the phrase plain hooky does seem to support the New York Dutch slang theory as it occurred in 1842 in the Brooklyn Daily Eagle with a passage that uh, reads, when I was a child, I thought I was a child. 
hunted birds' nests, played hooky, and chased butterflies, which is a nice origin, I think, uh, for when I think of the phrase, it, it does bring to mind someone who skipped school or, or work, uh, not for any sort of nefarious purpose, but just to chase butterflies, a kind of childlike rebelliousness and innocence, throwing off the supposedly weightier matters of education and employment. Uh, and it makes me think of Mark Twain and the adventures of Tom Sawyer and how Tom woke to school gloomy and sad and took his flogging along with Joe Harper for playing hooky the day before with the air of one whose heart was busy with heavier woes and wholly dead to trifles. Thanks for listening to ADM America. It was truly a lot of fun for me to do this first episode. Almost as much fun as playing hooky. And I, I hope you enjoyed it. I plan on doing more and hope to improve the audio and production values as this goes along. So please stay tuned.